Any any questions or comments or? Don't, yes. Oh yeah, the microphone. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the cancer industry, and it reminded me of the new KFC um, buckets for the Susan G. Komen Foundation, making money selling pink buckets of uh, fried chicken parts. Uh, it's, it, it shows how you absurd and how much of a business the industry has become. It's not about helping people, it's about making money. Absolutely right. Um, there's just so I, I'm not, I'm, I want to, when I talk on Monday night, I'm going to talk more about cancer in general, but just so you don't think dairy is the only thing linked to, um, <coughs> to breast cancer, um, there's a study published in the European Journal of Cancer Prevention last year that found that the more meat a woman eats, the greater her risk of breast cancer. Um, they found that <coughs> all, all flesh foods, including poultry and fish, so there's your KFC right there, um, uh, for an average, for every 25 gram increase, 25 grams is about an ounce, for every one ounce additional of, of flesh foods that you eat per day on average, your risk of breast cancer goes up by 9%. So if, you eat an, you know, if you're not eating any flesh foods at all, your risk is here, and you eat one ounce a day, which nobody does, but most servings are three or four ounces, so three or four times nine, you raise your risk by about 30% for every serving of flesh food, whether it's chicken or turkey or fish or, or beef or pork, it ra- raises it by about 30%. Now, the, the increase is, is quite a bit higher, about 15% per ounce, if you just filter out red meat, and it's 23% per ounce if you just do processed meat like hot dogs and bologna and things like that. So, you know, there were, there were worse meats and less worse, but they're all, they all contribute. So anybody that says fish is a health food or chicken is a health food, they all contribute to breast cancer risk. And because of what we know about breast cancer and prostate cancer, um, they know that men with a family history of breast cancer have a higher prostate cancer risk. Women with a family history of prostate cancer have a higher breast cancer risk. So any study that relates to one disease, you can pretty much translate to the other disease. So for men and for women, women, um, all flesh foods contribute to these cancer risks. Yes. George, thanks. Your information is great. There's just one thing I wanted to question you about, and that is um, I find it very hard to believe that uh, people who are working with cancer, um, we lost somebody to cancer a few months ago, for example, I have exactly the opposite impression is that doctors who are working with cancer, they don't want people to get cancer. They want people to get over it. I mean, because I mean, the doctors want their patients to do well. I really don't th- believe that a doctor wants patients to keep getting cancer so they get more money. I, I, I totally right. don't believe no, that from I, what I've seen I, and just my own common sense. I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean the physicians themselves. I meant the industry involved in making the, um, the equipment and the organizations who are bureaucracies that are out there trying to get people to donate money to them because they're looking for this cure for cancer. Um, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to sound cynical about it, except that, you know, in a way, it's like going to your car mechanic and saying, is there some gasoline out there that I can put in my car so I'll never have to change my oil again? Now, your car mechanic who changes your oil might, you know, tell you about it, but, you know, he's going to cut his uh, income if he does publicize something like that. It, and it's, uh, you know, the physicians are not doctors of nutrition. They're not doctors of wellness. They're not doctors of health. They're doctors of medicine. My brother's a medical doctor. And he says, we don't have any time to learn about food. 
we, you know, I know about what different nutrients do in the body, and I can diagnose a vitamin deficiency, and I can tell you what vitamin to take. But I couldn't tell you what food has that vitamin. That's what a dietitian's job is. And if you tell your physician you don't want to drink milk anymore, they'll say, well, then better take those calcium pills, because they don't know that there's calcium in greens and in almonds and in sesame seeds and in, uh, you know, uh, fruits like, like oranges and strawberries. And that's not the, the work of a physician. You know, it's the work of public health nutritionists, but in this country we have the, you know, the orthomolecular medicine, medicine that dominates our whole health industry. And I can't, I'm a registered dietitian, I studied nutrition for nine years, I've worked in the field for 30 years, and I cannot prescribe a diet for you. If you came to me and said, George, I'd like to eat a diet so I could lose weight or do this or that, I would be, I would be put in jail for practicing medicine without a license if I told you what to eat. A doctor has to prescribe a diet, and I can train you on how to follow it. But, you know, in, in Germany, um, naturopathic medicine has equal standing with, with regular medicine. And, you know, we, we just have this, uh, this sort of paradigm where medical doctors have the final say about everything. And when you ask them about diet and disease, they, they basically don't know of any connection. I mean, they can honestly say, I don't know of any connection. And they're not lying. They don't know. There was a study published, American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, about 10 years ago, where they surveyed just basic nutrition knowledge of a, of a random group of medical doctors in this country, and then they asked those same questions to just random people on a street corner. And who do you think knew more? People on the street corner knew more. And yet that's not the average person is going to assume the doctors know more. Yes? Hi, John. Do you have any suggestion for the dairy industry when you tell them dairy is not necessary? Do I have any response from the dairy industry? Yeah. What do they do if you tell them dairy is not necessary? Well, uh, they, they know that it's not necessary. That's why they have, you know, the dairy industry spends $200 million a year on advertising trying to convince us that it's necessary. You know, nobody had to pay, the, the, you know, the spinach industry didn't have to, you know, have these Popeye cartoons and pay for it because that was a healthy food. You don't see the broccoli council advertising because people know it's a healthy food. You're, you know, health professionals will tell people to eat broccoli, but health professionals won't tell people to drink milk unless they've been propagandized by the dairy industry. You know, the dairy industry hires more dietitians than any other industry. They give more money to nutrition uh, departments at universities than anybody else. Um, and they lobby Congress more than any other food industry because they know they've got a food that they know is not really necessary, is not really healthful, and they're trying to pass it off not only as a health food but as a food group as, you know, as necessary. And, you know, we, that's where, you know, the knowledge of the public has to come in and, and say, you know, uh, we're not going to buy it anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, my name is Salah Mohammed. Uh, I have two questions. Um, one is, do you think then that the curriculum for medical schools needs to be enhanced with this knowledge of diet and things so they can help their customer, clients? That's one. Second, um, how about the, um, the fish and all other um, protein? if you consume reasonably rather than uh, dairy, dairy things. I mean, I know today they abuse even with the, uh, with the, the fish and all that production, but what I'm talking about uh, normal uh, fish, which is not in, with, the, with the industry. I mean, that, that's my question. Yeah. 
Well, to answer the first question, yes. I mean, we obviously need to have more nutrition education in schools, and the reason that we don't <coughs> is because it makes us better consumers when we don't have the knowledge. And I, I don't think it's by accident. I mean, nutrition is a very understudied topic in our school system, and our universities. I mean, I happen to teach at a community college in Florida where nutrition, you could take a basic nutrition course as your basic science course. Instead of taking biology or chemistry or physics, you could take nutrition. I've never encountered another secondary, you know, a college or university where you could do that, which makes perfect sense. What could be a more practical science than the science of nutrition? But most people don't ever take a basic nutrition course, including half the medical schools in this country have no nutrition at all. The other half have one course, which I've taught and hardly anybody listens because they're too busy studying their biochemistry. So people don't know basic nutrition, and I think that's by design because then we're prey to every commercial that comes out. Oh, and, and every diet book, people, you know, low-carb diet, high-carb diet, people don't know. Most people know more about what to feed their dog or their cat than what to feed themselves or their children. And it's, it, it's, it's really abominable because it's the most basic you know, knowledge there is. You have to make food decisions at least three times a day, and we're basing that on what? Most of our information comes from commercials, and that's part of the, the capitalistic system is that people have a right to try to sell you something, and you're not going to be an educated consumer. You're going to be a gullible consumer if you don't know what you're supposed to be eating. And then your other question about you know, something like fish in moderation. I mean, I, I've eaten a totally plant-based diet for 28 years. I've had no animal products at all. And I'm still standing here. I take no supplements except an occasional vitamin B12, which is a whole other talk that I could talk about. Um, but we're supposed to get our B12 from our water supply, but we chlorinate it and kill all the good bacteria, so we don't get it. Um, but you know, we, we can get everything we need from plants. We don't have to eat any animal products. If you do choose to, it's, it's risky business. Obviously, the less, the better. I mean, the truth of the matter is, you know, the worst thing for you is eating too much animal protein, too much animal fat. If you eat a little bit, I mean, our bodies are amazingly resilient. I mean, you look around and see, you know, the different kinds of diets people eat, you know, everything from, you know, eating McDonald's every day to, you know, eating a pure raw food diet. And yet, you know, we all walk around and we all go about our business. And it's amazing that people live as long as they do doing the wrong thing. And it's a testimony to our body's resiliency because by nature, we're not, we're not true um, herbivores. We're not pure herbivores. Pure herbivores can't eat meat. If you, a horse is a pure herbivore. If you feed a horse meat, it'll, you'll kill it. So we can eat meat. Um, we can eat plants. We can eat both. We're not even true obligate omnivores, like bears have to eat both plant and animal material. So we're not true herbivores. We're not true carnivores. We're not even true omnivores. What we, what we are is scavengers who can survive on almost anything. We're like dogs and rats and cockroaches. That's why we can overpopulate the earth so well, because we can eat anything anywhere, and we can live. We can, we, we, we have technology. So it's not that we can't eat those things, but it seems like we do the best when we don't. Now, you, you can devise a plant-based diet that's really lousy. I mean, you could eat donuts and Coke, and that's a plant-based diet. And I would say, yes, add a little bit of fish to that, it's a better diet. But add a little bit of broccoli to it, and it's also a much better diet. So it's, it's a matter of what else you're doing. And, um, you know, I, I'm not here to say you have to be pure. I, I don't even like to use the words vegetarian and vegan as nouns. I like to use them as adjectives, which is what they should be. That you, There's vegetarian foods and vegan foods and vegan meals. And, you know, it, what you are is who you are. You're, you're, not, you're not just what you eat, and you're certainly not what you don't eat. You're a person who makes decisions. And the more you can choose to eat plant-based foods, the better off you're going to be, the better off the planet's going to be, the better off the animals are going to be. And, I mean, I believe in, you know, 
karmic retribution and things like that. And if we cause suffering in animals, you know, who, who are we to say, well, why am I suffering? You know, I want to cause suffering over there, but I don't want any suffering in here. And I believe that if I eat a diet that causes the least amount of harm, then, you know, I have every right to feel like, um, you know, being healthy is, you know, I've earned this. It's not just something that I'm just lucky to have. And when people say, you know, and when people come to me, I'm a dietitian, and people come to me and they say, you know, I've got cancer, I've got this disease, and I say, well, it might have something to do with what you're eating. And they say, well, it couldn't because I've been eating this way all my life. And I say, bingo. And that's really what it's not something, you know, these, and I don't like it. If you talk to other people and you say, oh, meat is poison and milk is poison, and geez, these things aren't poisons. They're not going to kill you the next day. They're just poor food choices because we get a lot of the bad stuff in order to get the good stuff, if there is any good stuff left in it. And when people talk about, you know, are all dairy products bad for you? Well, they are all bad for you in one way or another. From a cancer standpoint, remember these growth hormones are proteins. So the high-protein dairy foods, which are low-fat skim milk, low-fat yogurts, low-fat cheeses, they're worse for your cancer risk because they're higher in protein. A glass of low-fat milk has more protein than a glass of full-fat milk, which has about 30% fat in it. So that's why all these studies link um, low-fat dairy products with cancers much more strongly than full-fat dairy products. But the full-fat dairy products are much more closely linked, linked to heart disease and stroke, our second and third leading cause of death. So it all depends what you want to die from as to which kind of dairy you want. But, I mean, if you're worried about cancer and you think, oh, my heart's good and nobody in my family has heart disease, you want a safe dairy product? It's butter, ice cream, you know, cream. These things that are all fat have no protein in them. So they're, they're the safer things when cancer is concerned, but they're the worst things for your heart and your, and your arteries. Yes, Mr. Miller. There's a lot of reasons people avoid dairy products from environmental and ethical points of view. But that aside, just strictly speaking from a health point of view, some people make the argument, my dad was asking me earlier, that, well, yogurt has some benefits. And, um, and my, you know, my family, my daughter, wife, and I, we do eat uh, coconut milk yogurt and soy yogurt, and we enjoy it very much. But how about somebody in the hinterland, somebody who doesn't have access to a co-op or a, or a store that has products like that? Um, can you talk a little bit about, not, again, forget about the ethics of eating dairy products, purely from a human, selfish health point of view. Um, if you don't have access to non-dairy yogurts, are, is yogurt a good choice? Well, the, the good, like you said, the good thing about yogurt is the culture, yeah. which is a bacterial culture that will help with digestion if your digestion has been compromised by antibiotics. But it's the culture that helps, not the milk that it's in. So it doesn't matter whether you're having soy yogurt or rice yogurt or coconut yogurt or just getting a capsule of acidophilus or lactobacillus and you can just sprinkle it on your salad or swallow it. So... <coughs> That's one way to get it. Um, is it necessary for everybody? Absolutely not. I mean, the early studies about ovarian cancer is another cancer that kills 40,000 women a year. In 2004, actually in 1989, Harvard Medical School published a study that said that women that consumed the most low-fat yogurt had the highest rates of ovarian cancer. And that's because, you know, the, the, not just the growth hormones, but they found that the, that the uh, lactose which is in yogurt, which is broken down and easier to digest, seems to target ovarian tissue also. And in men, testicular uh, cancer is, is at risk for that. Um, so yogurt is not without risk. I mean, maybe, you know, if it helps with digestion, you know, eat it for a few days. But it's not something, there's nothing we have to eat on a regular basis. If, if we're healthy, we're supposed to be, you know, it's, it's a medicinal thing. It's, you know, a week or two at most. Um, 
So nobody needs to, and if you have a round of antibiotics, you want to repopulate the, you know, the good bacteria. Other than that, you don't need to have that every day. And certainly it's not the milk that makes it healthy. It's the milk that makes, you know, gives you the, the negative side of it, the downside. Um, was there another part to that? Um, and, you know, it, it's the, the reason we started making things like yogurt and cheese was because there was extra milk left over. I mean, the dairy industry started because there were babies whose mothers either died or couldn't breastfeed them, and they said, oh, there's a goat over there that's going to steal a little bit of that goat's milk, and then they started feeding it, and the babies thrived, and it, and it does work. Uh, as a milk substitute, you have to modify it, especially cow's milk, you have to modify it for a baby, but it does work. But then they had some left over. What do we do with this? You know, when it, and people started to try to drink it, and it didn't agree with them, but then they found that if it soured and started to culture, it was more digestible, and that's how the whole dairy and yogurt industry started. Uh, not, nothing to do with health. It had to do with some leftover food that they didn't want to waste because they could eat it. Yes. Ma'am. I just wanted to say that in answer to people who wonder about the American Cancer Society, um, it, less than a year ago we were at a Relay for Life fundraiser, and there was a special meal aside for um, cancer survivors. And do you know what they serve these cancer survivors? Beef. Beef. To go, to go with that, that story, um, we have an organization called the Coalition for Cancer Prevention through plant-based eating. And we don't take any money from every, anybody, including the Broccoli Council. And we had a, a banner at this Relay for Life event, sponsored by the American Cancer Society, that said, um, you know, all, all animal products, including meat, fish, chicken, and dairy, um, raise your risk of cancer. And someone from the American Cancer Society came over and said, you have to take that banner down because the American Cancer Society doesn't recognize a link between dairy products and cancer. We do recognize the link with red meat. And Melanie told them, well, but they're serving barbecue beef sandwiches to the cancer survivors over there. And this woman says they are. They were supposed to be serving barbecue pork, the other white meat. And so she ran over there and chastised them. And then she came back and said, well, I guess you can leave your poster up. Just don't tell anybody you're associated with the American Cancer Society. And I said, good, I won't. I don't really care. And, uh, but she said, but, you know, because I, I, I showed her all the literature, all the studies linking dairy with cancer. And she said, yeah, I guess sometimes they were a little slow to recognize these things. Matter of fact, we just saw a training film last week about the founders of the American Cancer Society. And it was a bunch of men sitting around a room table smoking. And it took them a while to recognize the link with tobacco and um, now it's going to take them a while to recognize. But I mean, it took them a long time to recognize the link with, with meat, but now they recognize red meat and they recognize you know, fruits and vegetable intake. But you know, if you're going to increase your intake of fruits and vegetables, you've got to lower your intake of something else because you know, we have this obesity thing. So what are you going to lower, raise your intake of? I mean, lower your intake of. I mean, you can lower your intake of red meat, but that's not that high anyway. What else is there? Dairy products, the white meats like pork, um, so on. Yes? Question? <clears throat> so just down the road is the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and uh, the dining administrators there recently decided to place a Wendy's restaurant in the student union, and this was over some protests. Uh, I was involved in that. And, um, and as a result of our protests, what was decided is that uh, dining services will have to negotiate with the Wendy's Corporation to see if they can win some concessions to make the Wendy's that will be in our student union uh, somehow more healthy and more environmentally sustainable than a typical Wendy's restaurant. And uh, it's, it's, I think the, the, the thing is not settled at all. Um, 
there's still a lot of us who really are upset or think that this is not in line with the university's values. But um, if, if the chancellor of the university, Holden Thorpe, were to ask you as a diet expert, you know, what do you think about all this, what would you tell him? I think it's all about money. That's what it's all about. Um, I recently gave a talk at a hospital in Florida, Hollywood, Florida, Memorial Hospital. They invited me to speak to a group called Mended Hearts, which is a group for people that have survived heart attacks and heart surgery. And I gave a talk, a similar talk I'm giving you now about how to lower their cancer risk as well as recurring their heart disease. And in the middle of the talk, the food service from the hospital brought up a tray of refreshments, and they were ham and cheese sandwiches on white bread and diet soda. This is the the refreshments they were serving to this group of heart attack survivors. And in the lobby of that hospital, there is a McDonald's. So if you think the hospital doesn't want repeat business, um, I don't know. It's it's nice to think that they don't know these things, but but they know. And, you know, what's going on in North Carolina, you know, it's it's going on everywhere. I mean, I used to work in... uh, with a, well, a college in New Jersey, where the whole food service—if you go—it was like the—it was like the food court at a mall. They, you, what you th- think would be a cafeteria, there was a little Wendy's, a little KFC, a little Taco Bell, and that's—that's that's all there was. That was the only choices. They just had fast food, nothing else. So, and that's like—that was a business school, of course. So they didn't have a nutrition department. But the University of North Carolina has a nutrition department where they ought to be saying these things. But unfortunately, um, and and a Cornell University, close to where I am in New York. Um, they have, you know, the largest nutrition department in the world, and yet their dining services, they say, you know, their mission is not to make money. Their mission is not to provide nutrition education. Their mission is to provide foods that the students want to eat. And so they serve, they don't have Wendy's yet, but they have, uh, you know, they serve bacon and eggs and um, Captain Crunch cereal and all these things that you would think, you know, like they're, you know, providing food for five-year-olds. And instead, these are college students who are eating the foods that they like to eat because if they don't serve them, they're afraid they're going to go off campus and get their meals. And uh, the, uh, you know, schools ought to have a mission to provide nutrition education along with their food, and the food ought to exemplify what they believe is, is healthy uh, dining. But unfortunately, um, you know, freedom of choice is, is what people always hide behind. I mean, that's what it's always about. It's like, well, shouldn't students have a choice to choose this or choose that? And, uh, you know, as long as that choice is maintained, they're going to defend that. Yeah. Is there some choice related to dining on campus that you would say we should not have in the same way that we should not have a choice to, I don't know, buy or make products that have uh, CFCs or things like that? Right. I mean, I, I would. I mean, to me, I would think if this information is out there and accepted, that they they ought not serve any animal products at all, and that if people want to have animal products, that they they ought to really have to go out of their way to get them. There are now um, schools and uh, whole whole villages and towns in Europe that have meatless Mondays and meatless Thursdays, where for global warming reasons. They're encouraging all restaurants and all food service facilities to only serve vegetarian foods certain days of the week. What's that? Including the schools. Including the schools. 
and that if somebody wants to have meat those days, they have to ask for a separate menu. It's not on the, the regular menu for the day is all vegetarian. So it's not like they want to deny people, but they want to make it difficult, just like it's difficult for us now to say, don't you have a vegetarian menu? And it's, well, I'm sure the chef can make you something. Don't you have some meat? Well, I'm sure maybe we could find some roadkill out back and we could give you some meat. But, you know, the truth of the matter is it is getting to that point. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's basically where we were with the tobacco industry 50 years ago, trying to get smoke-free workplaces and, you know, trying to get people to understand that, you know, a responsible person would not encourage, you know, make it as difficult as possible for somebody else to smoke. And certainly, you know, this is a tobacco state, so it's probably extra. I mean, I used to work for the public health department in North Carolina, and I would counsel pregnant women about their diets, and I wasn't allowed to tell them not to smoke because it was North Carolina. I mean, that's... That's where we've come, yes. I just wanted to pick up on your last thought and reflect for a moment and mention I knew somebody who had, um, who had a, a heart surgery in a area, major area hospital, and, um, and we had requested vegan meals, of course. And during the recovery period after the heart surgery, uh, ham or some, some dead animal, a dead pig or dead cow showed up. And so we said, of course, we had asked for vegan food. And I, I looked for the cardiologist when he was making his rounds, and I said, are you familiar with Dr. Ornish's work, and how do you reverse heart disease? There's three things you have to do. One of the things is a low-fat vegan diet, as well as moderate exercise and prayer or centering. And he said, of course we're aware of it, and it, very, it works remarkably well. It works very, very well. But you have to understand that after surgery, the key thing is for people to get calories. We're not going to introduce new foods. They need to eat so they get calories. I said, that makes sense. And sure, whatever you're used to eating in the short term, first day or two, I understand that. But why don't you give them a piece of paper? Why don't you sample some fabulous vegan food? Because vegan foods taste great. <laughs> give them some vegan food. Give them a choice. And the doctor's response was, we understand it, but patients simply won't follow it. So they don't even try, which is a little bit insulting to patients. So I just wanted to reflect on that. And I also wanted to comment, unless there's any final questions, it's getting a little bit late, so I wanted to start to bring this to a close. I think George will stick around for some questions individually if folks have them. Um, I have a couple quick wrap-up, unless anybody has a question. So if not, I wanted to remind you, George will be here on Monday, and he'll be speaking much more about cancer um, and about how to prevent cancer. And cancer is so endemic in our society. We see so many cases, so... uh, uh, everybody knows somebody who has and who's probably you know perished from cancer. So I think his talk on Monday should be a very valuable one for us and people we care for. So I invite you all to come. Those of you who are listening to this by podcast, we hope to be podcasting that as well. So that should be available on trianglevegetarianstudy.org. Um, but other than that, I wanted to have a, a round of applause for George and thank him for sharing his.